0: Welcome back to Truck Tech, everyone. It's a, a new show today. Notice we've got the headphones on now. We're trying to get styled here. Um, really glad you're back with us. We uh, are going to talk about infrastructure around electrification again today. This is something that, you know, we it, it's not a tiring topic because there's so much to to look at around it. And our, our guests today uh, come from two ends of it. Uh, they are partners in a certain sense, and that is Tom Ashley from Volterra, He's the uh, Head of Utility Relations uh, for that startup, and then also uh, Mark Esguera, who is the head of distribution for Southern California Edison, and works with a lot of the electric truck startups. So we'll be getting we'll be getting a, a better picture, I hope, from them on what's happening in this space after we uh, do a few headlines. So. Today we're finding that Daimler Truck, Pacar, and Cummins are going all in on bringing uh, battery cell production to the United States. So this is this is unusual. We've seen it in the car business with the uh, car companies setting up uh, ventures and the you know, battery making plants and so forth. But this is kind of a first for the trucking space. Uh, the three companies announced a multi-billion dollar uh, onshoring effort to uh, make lithium iron phosphate cells with the help of a Chinese battery uh, technology company, production is expected to begin around 2026, maybe 2027. Um, the site selection is still uh, still pending. That will be a, a three-way joint venture with the fourth partner being uh, uh, the electric uh, technology supplier, battery supplier from China will be a 10% partner. The others will all have 30%. You know, Nikola has another electric truck fire to deal with. Uh, one of its battery electric tray models burst into flames inside a lithium uh, plant on, uh, on, on Monday. The trucks, uh, of course, are already under recall. Nikola says the uh, trucks in the customer hands are still safe to drive as long as the main battery switch is flipped to the off position at all times and, and the uh, trucks are parked outside. Nikola can monitor these trucks remotely uh, so that they can see if there's uh, problems coming. Finally, uh, middle mile autonomy specialist Gaddick has a new customer. That's Tyson Foods. Tyson signed a three-year deal to bring Gaddick on as its third party, as a third party transportation supplier. It'll help uh, Gaddick purchase four Class Seven Isuzu trucks for autonomous shuttles uh, from Tyson manufacturing to finishing plants. Think things like breading chicken in northwest Arkansas. Uh, Tyson sees the possibility of expanding this to as many as 40 markets if the autonomous uh, runs work out as expected. Okay, there are too many angles to the electric truck infrastructure story to just point fingers over its slow development. Uh, My guests today have a more complete picture of the issue. Let's welcome uh, Marcus Gara from Southern California Edison and Tom Ashley from Volterra to uh, Truck Tech. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Tom, good to see you. I hope Mark will be able to to, uh, to join us. I understand there were some firewall issues there. I'm, uh, I'm especially uh, impressed as we look at this issue that, you know, we've got so many people trying so hard to um, get us over the hump, really, in terms of infrastructure. And, you know, maybe you can just sort of describe a little bit. I think Volterra is known to some of our audience, but maybe you want to give us a quick summary of, uh, of your role in all this.
1: Sure. Well, thanks, Alan. Um, So I lead uh, government and utility relations at Volterra. And just as a reminder for the audience, uh, Volterra's model is to buy and develop real estate for EV charging. Um, And we do that in a couple different ways, um, both in concert with fleet customers who then contract to utilize the site. um, And we're also in some circumstances working ahead of our fleet customers and developing facilities in parts of the country that we think um, need uh, infrastructure, and indeed, by uh, working a little bit ahead of fleets, uh, we think we can help not just uh, lower barriers to fleet electrification, uh, but really accelerate uh, that process.
0: Well, part of what you do, I think, uh, if I've read properly, is that is that you do map things out. You keep a very good eye on on sort of what the infrastructure looks like where you might want to put something and, and uh, you know, how that might play out. I mean, part of that really would seem to be the utilities job, too. Um, but but this idea of building a business out of having charging available to all who need it, uh, can you make that happen today? And if not today, when when is that practical?
1: Well, um, Alan, we and many are working on this right now. Um, I think what I would say is, you know, Volterra is actively developing sites. Um, to meet the needs of our fleet customers and partners. And as I mentioned earlier, um, also work ahead a little bit in some cases of those, those same fleets. Um, and I just want to contrast that. We're not trying to serve all needs on electrification. We are focused uh, in the fleet segment, um, primarily at this stage, uh, and then working a little bit beyond uh, traditional electrification uh, we're partnering with uh, Nikola to uh, help develop hydrogen fueling facilities um, for them uh, that will be uh, brought to the market under the Hyla brand.
0: Yeah, that that announcement was when I was able to catch up with with Matt Horton on back in uh, uh, back at the Act Expo, and and uh, you know I, that was something that was huge for obviously for for Nikola, which is now building those uh, fuel cell trucks, and I think they begin deliveries in the fourth quarter. Um, you will you will put hydrogen at some of the sites where you also have presumably electrification, uh, you know, battery electric uh, uh, opportunity. Um, will you also be doing this with with mobile fueling or 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 you know mobile charging or how how will that go?
1: Well, I think what I can say just first on the hydrogen front is we will build to customer demand um, is is our current vision um, for developing hydrogen. Uh, In some cases, those may be standalone hydrogen refueling locations. In other cases, they may be uh, combined with with traditional battery electric charging. Um, I would say that we are looking to serve fleets um, as their needs are understood and communicated to us. Uh, We are not actively at this stage serving fleets via mobile charging, but I think that we're certainly comfortable um, being both uh, technology and operations forward, and so if we get that ask from fleet customers, um, I suspect we'll we'll say yes um, and find a way to deliver uh, best-in-class service in that context.
0: Well, I mean, you know, part of it really is it, what what you can't do, say in the ground today. You know, could be done uh, at least uh, on a mobile basis if that was something that you know. I know that that Hyla is uh, offering mobile fuelers. Uh, you know, at this point on the hydrogen side. And to some extent, I mean, there, there's also a number of folks that are that are doing, uh, you know, um, uh, mobile charging. And I just don't know whether that's something that is really going to be important in the early days. I know that, you know, for example, you know, Wadi down at the Port of Long Beach, uh, you know, they have some some mobile charging there while everything gets done that they need. Um, and I just wondered if that's, you know, one of those sort of stopgap solutions that that might be necessary, uh, you know, in the in the in the near term.
1: Well, Alan, not speaking specifically for a full Terra, but around sort of this fleet transition largely. Um, you know, if we think about a traditional vehicle, it's not too difficult for, um, a service system to provide, um, whether it's gas, diesel or otherwise in, you know, a five gallon tank that they bring along on a back of a truck. Um, now that we're talking about, uh, vehicles that are fueled by electricity. Um, It's a different circumstance, but a similar paradigm that you can provide um, a mobile battery that can facilitate charging on the back of a service vehicle. And so I think we're going to be seeing that collectively um, take hold in the traditional uh, service industry. And I think uh, certainly charging providers uh, will be evaluating either providing those services directly or partnering with others to enable them. Uh, as needed. I think part of your question, however, um, may be in relation to um, some of the challenges that the industry is facing in bringing power to sites and electrifying facilities. And we're really seeing the industry uh, get quite creative with uh, how to approach um, sometimes uh, uncertainty with uh, with the delivery of power, um, and in some cases, uh, batteries or um, distributed energy resources are part of that solution we're also seeing uh, some stakeholders take forward uh, a temporary solution of actually using uh, traditional fuel uh, for generators uh, to develop electricity on site
0: yeah i was going to go to that which is the gen set answer um you know and it's something that i think you know especially in terms of having you know ample power to meet demand that Maybe you weren't expecting. I know the whole idea is to have a good idea on, on what's coming and when, um, you know, so that you're not surprised. But I think having some stationary power can't be a bad thing. I see that I see that Mark uh, has joined us. Mark, thanks for for coming on. I you may be on the phone, so. Um, we're just going to look at a a photo of you for the moment. But I did want to ask you a little bit, you know, at the top of the show, we talked about maybe some finger pointing that goes on in terms of utilities being the ones that aren't ready for uh, electrification. I want to give you a chance to answer that uh, without it being a gotcha, because, you know, I don't know if it's a fair assessment or not, is it?
2: Well, let me just tell you a little bit about, first of all, thank you for inviting me to the show. And it's a great question. I will say that, uh, utilities have been operating under a regular regulatory construct of really building just in time because there was such a concern of overbuilding and the load not materializing. And what we're seeing here is is uh, we're starting to see a change where the load can materialize much quicker than it has in the past. And in fact, you used to have to build with a certain level of certainty, uh, a certain level of milestones would have to be completing. It took time for developers to get there. And what we're finding is that that time to get to those certainty and those levels of milestones is happening much quicker and not only is it happening quicker we're seeing that the demand is coming in much higher and so things that are happening now in the space is you know really changing the narrative with the, the, the CPUC or the regulatory construct on you know being able to proactively build I will say that the grids were designed to handle uh, kind of the expected growth that we were seeing typically uh, I, I know for California we were focusing a lot on you know, how we address some of the, the light-duty passenger vehicle growth, and we started to see the medium to heavy-duty really start to take form as you start to see policy start to uh, form and, and shape and act and move forward. And so things that we've done is to really proactively plan for that by identifying what the projected demand growth is going to be in those areas. And something that's very unique to Southern California Edison is that we actually – looked at the state forecast that we were mandated to to plan towards and really felt that it was coming in a little bit low. We've done our own work internally to understand where the growth is going to occur and really focused on key strategic areas to start practically building. So um, it's something that we know it's gonna take time to build the infrastructure. We have that planned our way. But in the meantime, we're also focusing on some of those interim bridging solutions that I heard the discussion happen before Um, For SCE, we are looking at mobile energy storage. We're also looking at uh, our our mobile substations, also an opportunity here. There's still some hurdles to clear, but those are infrastructures that we could deploy relatively quickly. Um, There still would be some need to get some support from a a permitting and licensing to, to find opportunities to streamline that. But, you know, really getting creative on how to bridge those solutions while we are building the larger grid for the long term.
0: Sure. Well, you've got two programs that, at SCE that really address the fleet needs. Uh, there's the Make Ready Charge program, and then there's the Transportation Electrification Advisory Services. Um, how are these? How do these work, and how widely known are they?
2: So, for SCE, we're with these type of programs like our Charge Ready program. It's really focusing on assisting businesses and property owners with deploying infrastructure and the necessary equipment to support their electric vehicle charging needs at their locations. And so these programs, they help by providing financial incentives, infrastructure, and as well as technical support to help facilitate the installation and maintenance of EV charging stations. So, you know, we feel that this provides greater ease and affordability for our business customers that can now meet the the growing demand for their own clean energy charging options from their customers, employees, communities, and and, and tenants. we feel like it's a really good program. Uh, we feel like there's great opportunities there to help uh, educate folks more about the different uh, uh, programs that we have. But we feel like it's it's uh, it's pretty widely known within our our industry.
0: Yeah, Tom, I would oppose, uh, pose this next question to you, but uh, uh, but Mark, I, I feel free to weigh in here. How difficult is it to unlock the mystery of where the charging sites are? and whether they can be developed, you know, to a permanent state in a, in a timely manner.
1: Well, Alan, I, I appreciate the way you posed this. Um, I, I will admit that sometimes, from my view, it does feel like a little bit of a, an Easter egg hunt. Um, I mean, the reality is, again, back to the Volterra model, we're also buying the real estate. And so um, there's also a land use component um, to our process, which is really critical. But by and large, um, we're not going to pull the trigger until we have adequate confidence, um, you know, both on a land use approval pathway, as well as, importantly, on a power delivery pathway. And I would just say that this is challenging. Um, and uh, when we're talking about sites that start at 2, 5, 10 plus megawatts, um, you know, there are places on the distribution system where, you know, that power is available today. Uh, and it's just about connecting the dots. Um, But there are a lot of places on the distribution system where that power does not exist today. Um, And then it's a question of what infrastructure and what processes need to be taken uh, to build it. So I I think this is really why, um, you know, a lot of customers and potential customers are working with Volterra, uh, is because this is very challenging. um, And they're seeing uh, Volterra uh, really prove ourselves in our ability to not just navigate this, um, but I think navigate it more more efficiently than um, not just much of the rest of the market, but then the processes themselves necessarily lend, uh, lend themselves to at the moment.
0: Sure. Uh, Mark, if, if you want to take that, I've got another way to phrase it, frame it up for you if you like, but you want to weigh in there?
2: Uh, yeah, I could weigh in there. I think also some some opportunities here and how we could, Better improve in this space uh, is really through uh, more comprehensive planning in terms of understanding what uh, all the different fleets, uh, local jurisdictions, local cities have in their plans in terms of expansion for for electric needs, and really building the you know getting that information to proactively you know design the grid based on those needs in the long term. I'd say the some of the challenges that I see as uh, from the utility side, if the first time we're hearing about uh, a lot of these uh, fleet uh, requests is when they actually apply for service. Uh, I feel like that's going to be very challenging. Really, we want to engage fleets and these larger infrastructure developers early on in the process, so that we can actually build it into our long-term plan. Seek approval to start proactively build, and and I understand that that's going to be more of a collaborative effort. You know, to understand you know where the growth is going to occur, how it's going to occur, and then how we can lay out the grid. So really, early engagement more comprehensive coordinated planning amongst all the different entities in a particular region
0: well and i don't pretend to really understand your business but i understand that there that there can be 25 years of future planning where you'll look at all needs for a given area rather than say just the immediate one that's getting a lot of attention which is electric trucks i mean you know we, we need that power but but you've got to figure out you know who else is going to likely use it and over what time period am i am i correct there Absolutely, and and also trying to factor
2: in other needs for the grid, you know, beyond just electrification. You know, with um, I, the way we're seeing the grid uh, kind of shaping up here, with heavy reliance on on electric service. Uh, also, you know, design the grid. Not only does it have the capacity, but it doesn't have the additional reliability and resilience going to be needed to be able to provide that uh, urgent service when it's needed by our fleet, by our customers, and that may require even factoring in other requirements and including that as part of our build so that as we move forward to expand our grid, we're really going there once very minimal and really upgrading it there to meet all the needs over the next several years so that we're not coming back multiple times.
0: So it's sort of a white space approach, basically. You would would plan for eventual build out of, say, something that's not electrification-based, but you would go ahead and sort of save space for it, if I'm hearing you correctly.
2: Yeah, and it's, I'd call it the more uh, comprehensive integrated planning. There are many different needs that uh, that, that the grid ha- happens to have. Right now, the, the, the one that we're really super focused on over the next several years is electrification, but we also have life cycle, asset replacement. We have wildfire mitigation. We have other climate change items. So really... How do we, you know, prioritize those needs, urgent drivers with electrification largely being, you know, one of the, the top drivers in areas. And really, once we touch an area, look at all the needs, make sure we're we're addressing uh, all those needs with the grid design to, to support them over the long run.
0: Yeah. You both have indicated that there are some regulations that could help solve the infrastructure issues. Obviously, money is one of those. We have the IRA now. We've got a few other places you know, uh, at least, uh, you know, within California that's helping with, uh, I think, even the make-ready charging, it gets some PUC support and that sort of thing, Public Utilities Commission. What else is needed uh, either on the regulation side to sort of uh, make this go better? So
2: I can start on that. I'd say for for Southern California Edison, one of the first things that we're seeing is that we've developed a more proactive, we call it our, our transportation electrification grid readiness, um, which is basically uh, one of the first in California where we've developed an alternative forecast that looks at a higher amount of electrification at a, at, a, at a higher rate. And really we knew we've identified that we need to upgrade the grid in strategic areas and really, you know, being requesting to get support to proactively build for this load uh, that, that we're seeing where historically there was a high, you needed a high number of kind of like proof points that the load was was practically there. And here, it's one of those that it, it's happening. So really, allowing the utilities start proactively build, and not really having to wait for that. The other area is: are there opportunities to streamline some of the the processes for permitting and licensing? This is, this infrastructure is going to run through uh, different different parts of the service territory that might have different licensing requirements. And how do we streamline that so we're not reviewing the same issues uh, under different jurisdictions? How do we do that in a more efficient way to streamline that review? And permitting process to, to be allowed to build sooner than, than later.
0: Yeah, Tom. How about how about from the Voltero side?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, Alan. So Mark mentioned it sort of at the top of when he joined. Um, you know, I would just really put some emphasis on the reality that our regulatory paradigm around um, approving regulated public utility investments needs to evolve, um, and I think that. Um, You know, can safely say that Southern California Edison is a bit of a pioneer um, in their approach to, um, you know, guiding the the Public Utilities Commission here in California or indeed um, making the recommendation of really planning and investing ahead of demand. Um, So that is really the biggest piece is to enable um, all of us, but the utility industry particularly, to work ahead of the articulated demand for uh, this electric trans- transportation transition um, rather than work reactively when a load request uh, letter or application is submitted. So that that's the biggest one, uh, I would say, uh, in terms of power delivery. But on the vehicle regulatory side, um, you know, here in California, we have the advanced uh, clean truck rule, we have the advanced clean fleet regulation. And those are not regulating utilities, but they are regulating um, both the sale and purchase of, of these vehicles and those are really very strong signals um, to help motivate all of us including utility regulators uh, to help find um, our way forward to meet
0: the moment I've had I've heard someone say and uh, that perhaps the the utilities are getting a free pass on that but um, Mark, what do you think? Do you, do you think that's true? I mean, you, you've described SCE as sort of the canary in the coal mine on, on stepping out in front of some of this. Quick answer here because we're running out of time.
2: Yeah, I don't know if we're getting a free pass at it. I do feel like the the narrative has changed where I think our commissions and a lot of the regulatory agencies are actually starting to see the uh, the growth that, that we've been uh, calling out and, and really requesting in our general rate case. Uh, but I do think that there's still going to be. There's, we're always going to get second-guessed. Are we overbuilding in areas? Is the growth really going to be there? Because off the top of mind will be affordability pressures that are going to be coming down. With this infrastructure comes at a cost. So um, I think we are stepping out there a little bit further, but we do see the, the demand go, uh, growing, and we do believe that we can build the grid in a way that is not only safe, reliable, and affordable.
0: Okay, I'm going to give each of you 20 seconds to wrap up here on this question. It seems like everybody in the space right now is offering consultative services. Obviously, one of the programs that SCE has is is working with fleets. I think Volterra does it. The OEMs do it. Everybody pretty much does it. Do we have too many cooks in the kitchen right now? Quick answer here.
2: I would start up. I would say no. Oh, I think I think we're, we're in okay. early stages here and there's some of the early adopters are are more familiar, but we've met with a different segment of customers that are being moved uh, being being uh, made aware that there's electrification requirements to convert their fleets and we feel like some of them don't even know where to begin. So we feel like that's going to be a valuable service for some of the other later adopters.
0: Okay. Tom, I'm going to cut you out of this. Sorry. I apologize. Thank you guys so much for being here. Sorry the technology uh, failed us a little bit today. Uh, Folks, next week on on Truck Tech, we will continue on this theme to a point when we have Salim Yusazadev from Watt EV as our guest. He'll be talking about some of the efforts that they're doing both in the infrastructure and truck as a service space. I hope you'll join us for that. All of our shows uh, from Truck Tech, about 30 of them now, are available at uh, the FreightWaves YouTube channel. Click on Shows and then Truck Tech, and then you'll get a playlist of all that's available. Hope you'll check that out as well. See you next time, everyone.